Chapter 2 Living from the Third Circle Because a worldview is comprehensive, involving such aspects as economic, social, and political assumptions and language, it is possible to shift to a common good worldview through any one of these channels. For instance, through a new socio-political concept or a new movement for economic change. The most effective way to change a worldview, however, is through the moral stance that undergrids it, because every field of human endeavor is based on moral assumptions. Every choice we make that determines our actions is grounded consciously or unconsciously in a moral stance. When we become conscious of the moral stance that informs our choice making, we can intentionally advance a new, preferred worldview rather than making default choices that support the old worldview. When we become conscious of the moral stance that informs our choice making, we can intentionally advance a new, preferred worldview rather than making default choices that support the old worldview. Shifting to a common good worldview thus requires basing our choices on moral assumptions that support the common good. Moral Development Theory According to moral development theorists, all individuals are born with the inclination to mature morally as their lives progress. This happens naturally, as long as individuals have a supportive social environment, much the way a corn seed will naturally develop into a corn stalk that produces ears of corn as long as it receives adequate nutrients, water, and sunlight. Lawrence Kohlberg, working in the 1960s and 1970s, was the first to propose a three-level model of moral development, which he based on the maturing person's changing relationship with social conventions, and particularly the person's sense of justice. At the first level, which Kohlberg termed pre-conventional, people's choice-making is motivated by personal interests only, what they want or need. At the second, or conventional level, people's choice-making is driven by the conventions of society, by what other people determine is necessary or just. Their orientation is to existing rules, laws, and beliefs, to what others in their life think is right. People at this level of moral development stop at red lights, return library books on time, and are often responsible citizens. But while such an orientation is necessary for maintenance of the group, it has surprising limitations. For instance, if the group's standards are themselves immoral. At the third or post-conventional level, People's choice-making is motivated by principles of what's most just in a given situation. Principles provide a stable, moral reference point that gives people a higher-order perspective. Rather than responding to narrow self-interest or being tossed about by the winds of popular culture, people in the third level of moral development are rooted in moral standards that are not influenced by personal interest or social pressure. In the early 1980s, Feminist psychologist Carol Gilligan, a colleague of Kohlberg's, extended his model to make it more gender-sensitive. She pointed out that Kohlberg's research celebrated just ethic care. Her research revealed that moral sensibility develops in terms of both justice and care, with justice being the more masculine aspect and care the more feminine, although men and women readily exercise both in their choice-making. Developmental theorists like Kohlberg and Gilligan, have focused their research primarily on the standards by which people make moral choices. Less attention has been given to the question of who benefits from these choices. Even so, the choice-making associated with each of the three levels of moral development 
is paired with the corresponding beneficiary. Self-oriented choice-making is meant to benefit personal interests only. Choice-making that supports the conventions of a society is usually good for in-groups, for families, institutions, or nations that maintain those norms, but injurious to those on the periphery of that society. Such choice-making tends to benefit a chosen few at the expense of the many. Principle-oriented choice-making, however, is directed to the good of all who are impacted by the choices. The choice-making characterized by those three orientations can be illustrated by the following scenario. Picture three teenagers in a local corner store individually considering the same choice, whether to steal a candy bar, and all three deciding not to steal one. Although they made the same decision, they had different motivations for their choices. The first teenager thought, I won't steal it because I don't want to go to jail. This is self-oriented reasoning. I don't want something bad to happen to me. The second teenager thought, I won't steal it because I don't want to disappoint my parents. This is social-oriented reasoning, deferring to norms established by a group, often parents, teachers, a boss, or peers. The third teenager thought, stealing is wrong. If I owned this store, I would not want anybody to steal from me, so I won't steal from the owner. This is principle-oriented reasoning, not stealing because it is unfair and would harm others. The third circle. The three orientations of moral choice-making and their corresponding beneficiaries can be represented effectively as three concentric circles. The increasing area of each circle responds to people's increasing moral awareness and maturation, as well as their expanding concern for the diverse members of a community. The third circle marks a qualitative shift from the concerns of the first and second circles and is the only territory from which the shift to a common good worldview can happen. We see the third circle orientation, the combination of adherence to principle and concern for all, reflected in choices made by the world's great leaders. For example, in spite of China's takeover of Tibet and inhumane treatment of Tibetans, the Dalai Lama describes the people of China as his brothers and sisters, maintaining a distinction between the policies of the Chinese government, which he staunchly opposes, and China's citizens. Primarily, the group of rabbis for human rights established in Israel in 1988, seeks to remind the Israeli government of the best parts of the Jewish faith, and in that context, they advance the rights and interests of the least fortunate and most vulnerable in Israel, including Palestinians, foreign workers, and women. Another example of a leader who habitually made choices from the Third Circle is Abraham Lincoln. Near the end of the Civil War, when General Godfrey Weitzel took charge of the defeated Confederate city of Richmond, Virginia. He asked President Lincoln how he should treat the people of Richmond, to which Lincoln replied, referencing a wrestling term as a former grappler himself, let him up easy. He thereby showed that he intended to put into action the famous words from his second inaugural address, delivered in 1865, shortly before the war ended, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphans, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. It is easy to think of first, second, and third circle choice-making as mutually exclusive, 
but in fact, third circle concerns encompass those of the other two circles. Since when we focus on the good of all, we can trust that our own needs and those of our group will also be met. Thus, when we move into a third circle orientation, we do not lose our concern for the first and second circle instincts. This point was brought home to a former colleague of mine, a philosophy professor, when his sons were about seven and eight. He took them and a neighbor boy fishing. As they were approaching shore at the end of the day, their boat overturned. He told me later, I wasn't sure I could save them all, and instinctively, I chose to save my own kids first. He was distraught, wondering about his own moral maturity and capacity to be concerned for the well-being of all. But his response simply reveals our normal human instinct to save our own first, and the fact that he questioned the ethics of this instinct reflects his additional motivation to act for the common good of all three boys. A third circle orientation offers a certain freedom. We can attend to our self-interests without being limited by them, and we can care about clan and kin without being bound by them. Living according to a third circle orientation does not require people to give up interests in their own well-being or the good of their group. It's just a wiser way to the same end. The political philosopher Alexis de Tocqueville termed this stance, self-interest rightly understood. Often referred to as enlightened self-interest, de Tocqueville, a French aristocrat who visited the United States in 1831 to observe its still young experiment in democracy, commented that the people he met are fond of explaining almost all the actions of their lives by the principle of self-interest rightly understood. They show with complacency how an enlightened regard for themselves constantly prompts them to assist one another and inclines them willingly to sacrifice a portion of their time and property to the welfare of the state. For de Tocqueville, a self-interest rightly understood was an affirmative answer to a long-standing philosophical question. Is it advantageous to a person to work for the good of all? Enlightened self-interest is often both the most principled and the most prudent choice for members of a group who must rely on one another for survival. This is illustrated by a story my colleague Sharon Dallas Parks once told. Her great-grandparents helped establish a new township in Nebraska in the latter half of the 1800s. Her forebears and the other 40 families lived on soddies, cold, dark, damp sod homes, for two years, until two community structures, the church and the school, were completed. Then they constructed their own permanent homes. These early settlers were fully aware of the limits of their resources, including time constraints, to build structures for the first winter. By investing in their town's first common structures, they were investing in their own long-term success and happiness. They knew having a church and school would strengthen their community by providing places to gather and to educate their children, as well as attract other settlers and thus help their young town to grow and prosper. Third circle orientation can also inform cultural traditions. In cultures the world over, we find traditions rooted in principled reasoning that encourage people to make third circle choices trusting that their first and second circle concerns will be met when all benefit. For example, in the Jewish tradition, the ancient practice of the Grand Sabbath, the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, based on lessons in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures, marked a year of rest for people, animals, and the land, during which the ancient Jews engaged in profoundly principled acts. 
all people who through financial debt had fallen into indentured servitude were released, and all property lost through economic hardship was returned to the original owners. Similarly, Native American tribes of the Pacific Northwest practice potalach, a ceremony whose main purpose is the redistribution of wealth. On special occasions, such as births, weddings, and funerals, a hereditary leader gives away resources acquired by the family. A family's status is raised not by how much wealth they have, but by how much they can give away. Further, barn raisings, still practiced today in Amish communities in the eastern United States and Canada, are communal acts of cooperation and reciprocity. Since barns are too massive to build alone, communities work together to accomplish this huge task in a single day. Although individual barn raisings primarily benefit a single member, the cooperative efforts also benefit the social fabric of the communities. In addition, the Pan-African ethic of Ubuntu, which means, I am what I am because of who we all are, points to interconnectedness as the essence of being human. According to Desmond Tutu, former Anglican Archbishop of Cape Town, South Africa, you can't be human all by yourself. And when you have this quality, Ubuntu, you are known for your generosity. We think of ourselves far too frequently as just individuals, separated from one another, whereas you are connected and what you do affects the whole world. When you do well, it spreads out. It is for the whole of humanity. The common good worldview, like these social traditions, is an invitation to live not in isolation, but in community. When asked, for whom do you labor? People oriented to the us-them worldview answer, for me and for my kin, while people oriented to the common good worldview answer, for the good of all. Am I in the third circle? How can we know for sure when our choices and actions are for the common good and when they are not? The concept of the third circle offers a means for tethering the common good worldview to a real-world practical action in the form of a simple question. Am I in the third circle? Implied in this question are several others. Are the choices I am making grounded in this principle? Am I attending to justice and to care? Whose concerns and interests have I diminished or ignored? What would it mean to recommit to the good of all concerned? The question, am I in the third circle? invites individuals to reflect on their choices and thus offers a tool to check orientation and intention. As humans, we naturally stray from making the most principled choices or considering what is good for everyone. We forget, take shortcuts, and yield to first and second circle concerns. We have the capacity, however, to observe ourselves and learn from such observations. Leadership educator Ron Heifetz describes reflection as the ability to place yourself in the balcony, as it were, and watch yourself while simultaneously dancing on the dance floor. By standing back and observing ourselves, our organization, our community, or our nation, we can tell which of the three circles is informing the choice-making. Reflection on our actions can open the door to judgments, what is good and bad, what is moral and immoral. But instead of judging ourselves, we can search for creative feedback and assessment of whether we're on course and make adjustments if we are not. Reflection can also be a source of authenticity. When I am about to protest the harmful policies and practices of my department on the school board, 
if I remember that I also make mistakes, an element of honesty and humility enters into my protest, which ironically empowers it, causing me to speak from a place of authenticity. This work is not about perfection. It is about persistence, trusting that periodic reflection leads to steady development. A person may have 15 years experience as a school superintendent. If reflection was not a part of it, however, the total may actually amount to 15 one-year experiences since the person did not optimize the position as a chance to learn and grow. To initiate such reflection, we can ask, am I in the third circle once a week or even once a day? Then eventually, it will become part of our thought process, like a mantra of sorts. It's a worthwhile discipline in which to engage and clarify your intentions, especially before launching into some significant action. It's also useful to ask the question after taking action. Following a key meeting or at the end of the day, we can ask it to assess our actions to find out if they exhibited principled choice making as well as concern for everyone involved. Finally, we can observe our intentions in the moment in order to make principled choices. For example, we may be engaged with a client and realize that something we just said did not reflect third circle principles. And at that instant, we can take a deep breath and ask, am I in the third circle? And alter our perspective to make a choice for the good of all. By consciously operating from the perspective of the third circle, our choices and actions will naturally direct us and those around us toward the day when the common good becomes a prevailing worldview.